Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. Praise is a response to the personal revelation of who God is. You know, when we understand the majesty, as we sang this morning, the majesty of God, the, the holiness of God, the wonder and the awe of God, we just want to respond in praise, not for what he has done, not for what he's going to do, but simply for who he is. And it starts with this personal revelation. Then we talked about Psalms of Lament. And that's a kind of a word, that we, a word we don't really talk a whole lot about. But Psalms of Lament, actually almost 43% of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament, which kind of shows you this is a real personal expression. This is, this is true for a lot of people. We go through these seasons of sorrow and hardship. And we said that lament is a personal, passionate expression of grief and sorrow that is not just you know, wandering aimlessly, but it's actually rooted in belief. It's rooted in a God who we know can handle it. His shoulders are big enough to care about our complaints, right? Someone once said that psalms of lament are prayers of pain that lead us to trust, right? As, we, as, we are, as we're vulnerable and honest with God, but we also develop this trust that God is faithful and he's reliable. Also then last week we talked about psalms of thanksgiving. So now we know who he is. We know he can handle all of our junk, now we have lots to be thankful for as we've seen God's blessing over and over and over again. And really, we understand that expressions of gratitude don't begin with our words. They actually begin in our heart, right? For out of the overflow, the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we talk about protecting our heart and developing that, cultivating the heart of gratitude. And all those are available if you want to watch them online. But all those lead up to this moment we're going to talk about this morning of these personal expressions that bring us to this moment of confidence, where we actually have psalms of confidence. Now, what's confidence? Confidence, I looked it up, the definition, it's the feeling or the belief that you can rely. And I think that's a really important word, that you can rely on someone or something. It's, where you, it's a firm trust, right? I have confidence I can rely on, I can put my full weight upon that. There's a firm sense of trust. As I started processing these confidence, I started thinking about, I started asking a couple questions. One question I asked was, well, how does one gain confidence? You know, how do, how do you gain a sense of confidence? Well, I think confidence is built through personal experience, right? Like, you can't build confidence for me. I have to build confidence for myself. I have to build it through my own personal experiences. And I think if we go back, we think about, I'm going to build personal experience through receiving a personal revelation of who God is. I want to, I'm going to build confidence by communicating with God through seasons of joy and sorrow. I'm going to build confidence by cultivating a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. And we're going to build that sense of confidence as I lean on the presence of God. But when do I exercise that confidence? I think that's the other side. How do I know I have it? Like we're talking about Psalm, how do you know you've got confidence? Well, the need for confidence, I, I know I have confidence when I express the need for confidence in someone when I have to rely on someone. It's like, that's when I know I have confidence in someone. Here's my example. How do I know I have confidence in a chair to hold me? I gotta sit in it, right? If I don't sit in that chair, then my confidence is just a theory. It's just somebody else's experience. I have to sit in it myself to have a sense of confidence in it. What happens when we build this sense of confidence? Well, see, I can, I can have the knowledge to know that a chair is designed to hold me, right? I know, I, it's, I know what it's designed to do, so it's knowledge. I can then believe, and I have to determine whether and believe that chair will hold me, you know? 
Like, will it hold me? I know what it's designed to do, but will it hold me? And the last thing I need to do is then sit in it and trust that it will actually will hold me because I know it will hold me because I can sit in it. I remember a couple years ago, it was actually last year, I think it was, my wife and I, we were, and our family, we were in London, and uh, everything was great. We were, you know, Masonville Mall, woot, woot, and uh, just, you know, join around. My, and, you know, the boys and I, we're, we have like a limit to our ability to shop, right? And HomeSense is, well, that's just off the table. So, so my wife went into HomeSense, the boys and I went into the car, and we're just sitting there patiently waiting and waiting and waiting. Anyone didn't understand this, this dilemma? Anybody with me? Sitting there waiting. I get a text from my wife. Come on in and check out something. I want to show you something. Great. Okay. Get out of the car. Draw, walk into home sense. What are we? What is she? And she looks at this nice chair. It's like this decorative chair from home sense, friends. Okay? And she looks at it. Now, if you know me, I already have a fear of chairs. When you're my size, you look at chairs a little bit different. I don't care how pretty it is. If it, ain't, if it doesn't hold me, if I don't feel confident in that chair, I'm probably not going to sit in it. My wife has bought many chairs that I just look at with loathing attitude. Why would you buy it? It's pretty. It's a nice color, sure, but I can't sit in that chair. That just drives me crazy. Anyway, so I go in, she, and she sees this chair. So what do I do? I know the chair was designed to hold me. I believe that it can hold somebody. <laughs> and I have to trust that it will hold me. So what does she do? She says, sit in it. So in the middle of HomeSense, friends, on a busy Saturday, I sit in the chair with full confidence that this chair is going to hold me, and it did not. And all of a sudden, the back legs split out as if they swore at me, and I fell flat on my back, feet up in the air. Thankfully, I wasn't wearing my dress that day. You know, feet up in the air, and I'm off my back. And Wendy looks at me like, she's concerned, but that's buried pretty deep. She's more laughing at me. And actually, if you know my, she's actually more embarrassed about it for herself because she's with me. You know that feeling? That was, I, I, I felt so loved. Anyway, and then on top of it, the lady, I'm sure she was kind, lovely lady working there. She looked at me as if I did something wrong. I'm like, well, if you have a chair built for ants, you need to let people know this chair is for decorative only. This is not a sustainable, you know, you cannot sit in this chair. This is for the dolls at your grandmother's house. That's all this is for. Come on, we all know that chair, right? Every one of you are laughing because you're picturing that, that creepy doll and stuffed animal that's sitting on your grandma's chair in the corner that nobody else sits on. Anyway, that just came to me. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, so we go through these seasons, right? So needless to say, we didn't buy the chair. And now we just buy the, the ones that I know will hold me. You know, 500 plus pounds, you know, through hurricane, tornadoes. You can put a car on it. I don't care. It'll hold. That's what I love. You know, I love those chairs. So um, anyway, but we kind of go through these experiences. But I do think building a sense of confidence is sort of the same thing. It's, hey, we can know about God, right? We can actually believe in God. We know that we believe in him. But here's the question is that do you and I actually trust God? And really, the only way we're going to know we fully trust God is when we put our full weight on him. We've got to pull our full weight on him. And how many people, that's a scary thing. Especially if you've looked at, you know, other situations, maybe other religions and other gods or other sources of success and hope, and you put your weight on them and they failed you. And then now you're looking at every chair with a little bit of skepticism, right? 
And I'm here to tell you that God is reliable, that he's trustworthy, that you and I can put our full weight on him. Here are some of the, here are some of the verses and some of the Psalms that we can explore. We're going to camp on one of them, but I just want to read a couple of them to you to kind of give you the essence. This is not me just speaking out of my own experience. I want you to hear what the psalmist says. Psalm 16, 1, it says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. This is someone who's put their confidence in him. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 62, 1, it says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Come on now, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Today you and I can develop confidence because we serve a God who can hold us. We can serve a God that we can rely on and fully depend on. Probably one of the most famous psalms, not just psalms of confidence, but famous psalms of all is Psalm 23. Also labeled as David's psalm, the psalm of David. Many scholars actually believe that David wrote the psalm later in his life. This is the one he wrote when he was young, but one he wrote later in his life, later in his kingship as he was looking back and reflecting on the goodness and the glory of God, as we're reflecting on the things that, and the lessons that he has learned. The tone is calm. It, it, is, it is meditative. It is a sense of assurance as he remembers the days of being a shepherd with nostalgia. He calls on how God has already guided him and protected him and how he cared for all of his needs, just as David himself used to care for his father's sheep. Many of you know this psalm, but I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to allow ourselves to maybe read it with fresh eyes if you're like me and you've grown up in church and maybe you hear certain psalms that you're familiar with, you sort of just sort of dismiss them quickly. You don't allow yourself to sort of root in it and camp in it a little bit. And I just want to kind of camp out in Psalm 23 this morning together with you. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go there or, or flip open to the version app. But here it's going to be on the screen. Here is what David is saying in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. NLT version says, I love, I have all that I need. He's my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod to protect and your, your staff to guide, they comfort me. They, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my Head with oil, my cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's this beautiful psalm. I started thinking about it a little bit, and I kind of developed a sense of curiosity. Because as David is telling this psalm, as he's writing this psalm, he kind of flips tenses. In the first half and in the second half, in the first and the final half, he talks about God as he. He's talking about God as he leads me, he guides me, he restores. And then he flips into the middle where he talks about you 
He says, you prepare a table, you are with me. And he flips tenses and then he goes back to talking about, oh, about God. At the end, I started thinking about that this weekend. I suggest that the change happens when David faces his darkest valleys. It's not just that he's talking about God in the green pastures, but in the darkest valleys, he's making it personal. In the darkest valleys, he's not just talking about the belief of God. He's talking about his trust in God. See, many of us, when, we are, when, when life is good and the grass is green and the sun is out, we run about the day and we talk about God, don't we? But how many of you contest that when the days are dark and the valley is wrought with despair, we talk to God, don't we? We talk to God. I was thinking about this, you think about this with your kids. When you, when you go to a park or familiar with, you know, what do they do? They run off, they're having fun, they enjoy, it's a sunny day and they're enjoying the park. But if you surround yourself, if the environment shifts and they're maybe around strangers or people that they think are scary or unknown, what do they do? They cling to your leg, don't they? They cling to your leg. See, when we're in the light, we're prone to wander in pursuit of greener grass, but when we're in the dark, we hug his knee. See, David changes his comments about God to communion with God because during the valley experiences, he stayed close to the Lord as his shepherd not keeping his eyes off of him. And to me, that's the relational experience that we're all invited into. Do you know that you, don't, you just don't have to know about God, but you can actually know God personally? You don't just have to know about God through my personal experience or somebody else's personal experience, but you can actually know God personally. It's one of my biggest prayers for us as a church, for you, is that you would actually know Jesus personally. We say it almost every Sunday that you would just read your Bible and pray every day that you wouldn't just sacrifice and live in the Old Testament model of relationship with God through somebody else's personal experience, but you would actually invite Jesus into your life every day, every morning, open his word and allow his spirit to speak to you daily. Like that's the invitation that we're all invited into. This is what David is talking about in this psalm. He's like, I'm just talking about who he is theoretically. I'm talking about what I've experienced and to be personally. And I want you to experience that also. This is where we begin to build confidence in God. You cannot build confidence in God with knowledge and belief alone. You build confidence when you allow yourself to trust. When you sit in the chair. Right? You got to sit in the chair. And so here's the question as we look at the psalm. I want to ask the question, how did David build this confidence? What, how, what did David know that we need to know in order to develop confidence in God? And maybe you're here today. And maybe you are in this place where I know about God or I believe in God, but I don't necessarily trust God. Maybe you're wherever on that journey or maybe I used to trust God, but for some reason I'm not trusting him anymore because I feel maybe he's let me down. And, and I'm telling you, God didn't let you down, but maybe the perspective, you're not seeing it clearly. And so I, and maybe you don't trust him the same way. And I just want to help build that sense of confidence in you again, not in me, but in God. And as we look at Psalm 23, I suggest that there are some four thoughts that we can pull from this context of David learned, lessons that David learned that we can learn from today. The first one is this, David learned that my God is always for me. That's what David learned. He said, God is always for me. What does verse one and two says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What David is doing is he's drawing upon his references as a shepherd. Right? He's drawing upon his references for the time where he used to look after his father's sheep, his father's flock when he was a boy. 
And his main objective was to take care of the flock, to make sure they weren't in harm's way, to make sure they were fed, that they were safe, that they they had water, that they were taken care of, that there was no predators. I mean, even David even attacked a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. Like he was for his sheep. That was his main objective. That was his job, day and night. Night and day was looking after his father's sheep. And you need to know today that we have a God who is for you, that when we are his flock, he cares for you. He wants to make sure you're fed. He wants to make sure you're healthy. He's bringing you to greener grass. He wants to make sure you find rest. He doesn't want you to be overworked. He wants you to find rest for your soul. In the same way that, we, that he was in charge for the sheep, he recognizes God's tender care for him. This is a powerful image of God caring for us and protecting us, providing for us, and leading us the way that a good shepherd would lead their flock. Paul tells us in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, then who can be against us. We have a God who's for you and he's there to protect us the way the father would protect a child, but more importantly to our son, the way a shepherd would protect his flock. Do you know, this is the question, because sometimes we, we kind of forget this, but do you know that God wants what's best for you? Like deeply, do you know that God wants what's best for you? Like that he's for you. I understand that religion without relationship, simply feels like restraining or restricting rules, right? If all you see is the religion of the do's and the don'ts, then you, don't, you can get lost in the fact that God actually wants the best for me because all you're seeing is the things I can't do or things I need to do that I'm not good at doing. But I need us to move beyond the relationship, beyond the rules, rather, and fall in the relationship with God and see him as a, as a loving father who wants to care for us. It's hard to believe that you, can, that you have a God who loves you if you cannot see him as a relationship. Psalm 23 centers on the goodness of God. God is the good shepherd who cares for you. He restores you, and he wants what's best for you. But here is the caution. It does not mean that life is going to be easy. It does not mean that everything is going to go smoothly. Instead, it simply means that God will be helping you along the way. This is the misconception, right? The misconception is that we serve a God who wants me to be happy. And when I'm not happy, it feeds the lie that God is not for me. Because if God is for me, then I should be happy. Anybody heard that lie before? Anybody told their lie to that self before? You know, you told that to yourself before? Here's the thing. God's primary objective is enough for you to be happy. It's for you to be healthy and holy. Holy in relation to God, but holy in the sense like W-H-O, like complete in him, whole. And he knows what you need. And he knows what you you don't need. He knows what's good for you, and he knows what's going to lead you to harm. And we serve a God who wants the best for you, and sometimes the most loving thing a God can do for you is say no. And him saying no is not saying I don't love you. He's saying, I love you enough to protect you from what's on the other side. That's parenting, isn't it? And this is what God does. He's always for you. Jesus says in Mark Gospel, he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Like you gain this whole world, but yet you forfeit your soul. Can anyone, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He wants you to be Holy, see, our soul, our temporary longs for happiness, right? Our soul longs for happiness, but our spirit yearns for wholeness. And that only comes from knowing that God is always for you. 
So this is where David starts. How does David a man after God's own heart? Because he just believes that God is always for him. You study the life of David, you realize that David is not a perfect person. In fact, David is, in a lot of ways, we'd, be, we'd probably excommunicate David from the church today for the things that he has done. Do not listen to his books or buy his CDs because he is a sinful man, right? But, David, but God recognizes him as God's own heart because he recognizes that, listen, God is for me. I'm going to put my hope in him. Second thing we see in the lesson that we learn from David is that David says, my God is leading me. Not only always for me, but he's actually leading me. We see this in verse 3 and 4. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even through the valley of the shadow of death, where I'll fear no evil. So the question you have to ask yourself is, why would a sheep be going through such a dark place? Why would a sheep be found in such a dark place? Valley, the valley of shadow of death. But come on, is there anything more eerie sounding than that? Like that is not a place you want to send your kids. To the valley of the shadow of death. That's like I think about Simba, you know, and Mufasa, and he's got to get to the other, but he's going through the valley of death or whatever it's called. Whatever, forget it. Um, <laughs> wow. Some things enter here and they should just stop there, but they all end up just going right here. Watch, watch Mufasa or Simba or whatever it's called. Lion King, that's what it's called. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, not be- so, so why is a, sh- a sheep in a dark place? It's not because he's wandered off. This is an interesting part of this story. The, the shepherd isn't going after the sheep. This isn't like when we cross-reference Jesus in the gospel, it says that he will leave the 99 to go after the one. I mean, that's reference to the, sh- to the one actually wandering away, right? And, and Jesus, as the good shepherd, is going to go after the one who wandered away to bring him back into the faith, back into community. That's, that's not what this is about. This is actually that the shepherd is actually leading the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. Like he's actually bringing them through the valley. Why? And here's the question. What is the reason? Why would a good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep lead his, valley, lead his sheep through the valley of danger and death threats? There's only one good answer. Is it because there's something better on the other side? Like the only reason that we're walking through these valleys of shadows of death is because God is leading us to the other side and he recognizes this is the only way there. I remember, I'm going to tell a story about my kids. I remember Hunter, Hunter and Carter were starting JK. You know, they were young. It was like 14 um, and uh, four, four years old. Started JK. And I remember you know, going and, and it was my day to drop them off this day. And we had, a pre, we had a pre-talk with the teachers, you know, when your kids cry, if they're going to cry, you just got to leave them with us and you got to go and we'll, we'll trust us with it and everything's going to be okay. And, and that sounds great in theory, right, parents? It sounds great in theory. And, uh, and then my wife is like, never leave them crying, you know, in back of my head. So anyways, I bring, them, I bring them to the school and Carter's good, he's gone to go. And Hunter is just, his day, like, and this is the first time he's experienced this, but his day, he was just not having it this day. And he was like full out crying, you know, I, I just break your heart crying. And he's clinging to my leg and he doesn't want to go. And I can hear my wife encouraging words, don't leave him crying, don't, you know, right? But I'm also seeing the teacher saying, you got to let him, you got to just, just trust me with him, just trust me and, and I got I to gotta go. And if you've ever been in that moment, you feel like the worst parent in the world, the worst parent. So my kid, is he, he's hating his life. He sees this is not a good spot. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be with you. And I'm saying, no, but you have to go. You have to go through this. You have to get to the other side. From my perspective, and so like being feeling like the worst dad possible, I kind of like 
pry his hands off my leg and I, so bad, right? And I give him to the teacher and the, and the teacher was beautiful. She was so nice and she, she you know, coddled him in and, and brought him in and he was crying and I'm walking back to my car just feeling like the worst dad ever. Thinking to myself, how am I going to explain this to my wife, you know? And, uh, and I get in the car feeling heartbroken, but I know it was the right thing to do. Like, I know he had to be there. I know he had to work through that moment. But it's still heartbreaking. And then I get a call, not five minutes later, from the teacher saying, he's settled, he's good, he's having fun, all is well. And I could just rest throughout my day. But I'm, I think sometimes a lot of us go through seasons like that where we're like our kids and we, all we see is the present. All we, see, all we feel is the emotional right now. And we serve a God who, who sees beyond the right now, who sees what's on the other side. And we have to trust that him, us going through these valleys or these dark seasons of our life, which none of us want to be, right? Let's be honest. We don't want to be here. But as we trust that he is not only for me, but he's actually with me, he's leading me through this, we can get through the other side. And we can grow in it through relationship. Like David, you may find yourself in a valley season. And maybe it's kind of like what we talk about prayers of lament. You say something like, it wasn't supposed to be this way. You know, many of I prayed a prayer like that. Many prayers like that. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Your great shepherd has appointed even the hard times as paths of righteousness. That's the funny thing. Like this is God's path for you. God actually wants to teach you through something through this. He's got a plan for you. This is, this is righteousness being worked out in you. How do you navigate that thought? Well, you navigate it because he's with you. He's not leaving you alone. Rest assured, he's taking you to higher ground where the sun is warm and the grass is green and lush. And here's a thought for you to consider that every valley is a pathway to something better. Like this valley is leading me to something better. Psalm 84, 1 says, The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. For those who, how do we know what's doing is right? Well, doing is right is listening to the word of God and walking in faith and obedience to the word of God. It's staying close to the shepherd. That's what doing the right thing is. Romans 8, I mean, 8.28, many of us know this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. Listen, we know the valley isn't good, but the shepherd is good. Right? The valleys aren't good, but the shepherd is good good, and he knows the way through. We can spend a lot of time on this, but we've got to keep moving through. Lastly, the third thing David realizes is that God is always near me, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, when you step into your valley, it's so dark that you can't even see the pathway ahead. And you know the, the, the possibility that there are predators and their enemies laying in wait for you, but your shepherd has something he wants to hear from you. He, he wants you to hear from him. He wants you to hear that I am with you. I am with you. It may be tempting to turn to other devices or to find a substitute in other things, but all you need is the shepherd. Hebrews tells us that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so you can say with confidence, who's the helper? The Lord. He's my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want to read you a story. Author Ken Wilson from the book Having Faith Without Fear tells a story of growing up in Pittsburgh. I wonder if you can relate to his story. He said, The house in which we lived in on the other side of Pittsburgh, on the, on the side of Pittsburgh Hills, was three stories high in the front and four in the back. The bottom layer was a cellar, and the top was what we called the third floor. Really was really just a finished attic, the ceilings of which were cut into shadow geometric shapes by dormer windows. 
Up there, up there were two bedrooms, a hallway, and a mysterious storage room for trunks that always smelled like mothballs and history. Our family slept there because the second floor was usually rented out to a tenant to help pay for rent. When I was unner- what was unnerving for Kenneth was that as a youngest, he had to go to bed first, braving the floor of dark bedrooms. The bed that, in the room that I, on the third floor seemed to be at the end of the earth, he said. Remote from human habitation, closed, uh, close to unexplained noises and dark secrets. At my urging, my father would try to stop the window from rattling and wedging wooden matchsticks into the cracks, but they always rattled in spite of his efforts. Sometimes he would read me a story, but inevitably inevitably the time would come when he would turn out the light, shut the door, and I would hear his steps on the stairs growing fainter and fainter. Then all would be quiet except the rattling window and my cowering imagination. Once I remember my father said, would you rather I leave the light on and go downstairs or turn the light out and stay with you a while? After a brief time contemplating, I chose presence over dark, presence with darkness over absence with light. I'll say that again. I chose presence with darkness over absence with light. And isn't that what you and I want most in the valleys? The assurance that someone is there. And I think for many of us, if we were honest, the more we get to know God, the more relationship we have with God is, hey, listen, I can take the darkness if I know you're with me. And in fact, I'd rather be in the dark with you than in the light apart from you. Like that's how much I long for this relationship. I lean on you as my good Shepherd, the message of the gospel is not about the absence of pain and trials, but rather it is that God will not abandon us in them. More than that, he has made a way where there seems to be no way through them. This psalm that David reminds us that even in the darkest valleys of life, God is still with us, and that should give us hope and help us build confidence that God's with us. Many of you can attest those seasons of your life where you've gone through heartache, a diagnosis, a struggle. And it wasn't easy. But you can look back and you say, I see how God was with me through every step of the way. You know, sometimes it's hard to recognize God in the moment. But as you look back and you evaluate the events that transpired in that season, you can see how God's faithfulness sustained you and protected you in every moment. I think that's what David's doing, honestly, as he looks back in Psalm 23. I'm not so sure David, in the moment as he was running for his life from King Saul, maybe felt that God was with him. I think if you read through some of the Psalms, he's like prayers of lament, right? Psalms of lament, like, what is happening here? You know? But as he looks back, you can see, no, you were with me the whole time. Your rod and your staff, you comfort me. You were with me everywhere. I didn't escape from your presence. You never wandered from me. And that's what you and I can rely on in the last one here today is that God is always working in me. God is always working in me. You prepare a table before me, verse five says, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In this verse, we see that David switches the description of God from a shepherd to a host, right? 
He's not just a shepherd anymore. He's a host. He's inviting me into something more. God is not only providing for our needs, but he's actually providing for our desires, for our more than our needs. There's a, a visual of overflowing. David describes this cup as overflowing with blessings. And again, this is something that David, as he's looking back, he can see God's faithfulness and his protection and his sustaining power through his life. That he not only just survived, but he thrived. And this is the life that you and I, that God wants to bring us, where it's not just that we're just getting by, we're not just eking through, but through there we can find life abundantly. This is probably harder to see in the moment, but we serve a God, who, a shepherd who did not give up on David, and he gave him his needs, but more than his needs. I love Jesus in John, John, in John 10, 10. Jesus says, I've come to have you may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says to have it overflowing, like to have more than you need. I've come, the devil comes to steal, to rob and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That he wants to develop that with inside of us. What's interesting about this verse is that all this is done in the presence of our enemies. I mean that there's something that happens in conflict that allows us to grow and persevere and develop character and character hope. And that hope does not disappoint us as we look to the creator, the protector of all things, the shepherd. That even in the hardest seasons of life, even in the valleys that God can be working within us, developing maturity within us, perseverance within us, character within us, to know that everything's gonna be okay. To, lie, to rely on him. It's like, a, like an oasis in the middle of a desert. You and I can experience the reprieve of God's presence. Maybe you're in the darkest of valleys. Maybe you would define your situation right now as a very dark valley. Can I tell you this morning that you can experience an oasis in the presence of God? That even in this dark valley, even in this hard time, that God wants to do something in you, strengthen you, as you depend on him. And you gotta trust in him. How do you trust in him? You hear his voice and you do what he says. You follow the nudging of your spirit, you do what it says. You do it scared. You trust in him. One of the last times that Jesus was with his disciples, he was washing their feet. And they were confused, they, they were perplexed, they were humbled, and I think there's a lesson in here that God is, God is often working and preparing something in us when we're not fully ready to know or understand it yet. He's, there's something happening in these valleys, in these seasons of life. And he's, he's washing their feet and they're humbled by this, they're perplexed by it. And I love how he responds, he says, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Like I know right now you don't understand what's going on, but there's gonna come a time where you're gonna understand. And, and I do believe that our hard times and our valleys and these situations, there comes a tone, there comes a moment where we can look back and we can understand what God was trying to do in us. We understand that where we are, and we had to go through that valley to get to where we are today. That the grass is greener on this side, but I had to walk through that hardship. I'm fully aware that at times in very valley seasons can leave us feeling the same in the same way, but our confidence is in God is only exercised when we fully trust in him. When we fully trust him in the valley, in the unknown, in the uncertainty. Philippians tells us, for God is working in you, giving you desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's working in you. 
It's working. And developing muscle, spiritual muscle, developing any kind of growth is not always a pleasant experience. Just try going to the gym. Right? Sometimes there's pain. There's hardship. There's soreness. There's tenderness. But as we allow the process of going to the gym to work within us, the same way Spirit of God wants to work within us, and sometimes He has to remove a few things, and strengthen a few things, and shore up a few things, and develop with us a few things in order to sustain us for the next season. When you find yourself weak in dark places, uncertain of the future, here's what I want you to do. When all color has drained out of your life and your soul is downcast, here's what we're called to do. Look up. To fix our eyes on Jesus, your good shepherd. Stick close to him. Trust that he knows the way through this valley and he will see you safely through the other side. Believe that he is good, that he has good reasons to taking you through this route. Even though it is hard and unfamiliar, we're all going to hold on to this truth, the same truth that David held on to. There is something better waiting on the other side of this valley. There's something better waiting if I stick close to Father. David learned this. And whether it's in this life or the next, we can be confident that God will lead us through. And for some, you're in the season of life where this is your expression of worship. It's confidence and trust. It's not having all the answers. It's not even knowing what tomorrow holds. But I'm being confident and trusted. I'm with a good shepherd who's with me, who's for me, who's leading me, who's with me, and wants to develop something within me. I can trust in him. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.